Okay, welcome to Article 23, the podcast all about making work work. And given we usually talk about work or we talk to experts who also talk about work, this is a really special series of podcasts we're going to do right now. And we're going to talk to or interview members of a, the MOI team and ask them all about work leadership and themselves so that you guys get to know us a little bit better. And we're starting off today with the fabulous James Hancock. Welcome, James Hancock. Great to be here. Thank you. I'm excited. It's fun, it's isn't weird. it? It's, you, we feel a bit embarrassed because normally it's like, what is the question? And we answer the question, whereas actually this is very much about you. And it feels like a whole different pressure being on the other side of the interview or the hosting uh, for a change. So we'll see. It is. And I'm probably doing a rubbish job. So. <laughs> you can continue I say, later. I didn't say anything. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with your background, James. Um, sure. And uh, you obviously, your background started out from university or whatever into Pepsi and then went across as onto the grad program for CBA. Stuck around in HR, did a fabulous job, became quite famous as a great grad in the CBA program. Because I remember when I joined, people were talking about you. But by then you'd already left HR and gone into the business, into the institutional bank, which is obviously very, very unique for a HR person. Uh, and then joined one, two and a bit years ago. Is that a pretty good summary of your CV formally? Yeah, it's a pretty good summary. And I think from that you read every time I go to get a soda or a soft drink, I still look at Pepsi and think I should take that instead of a Coke. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I still bank with CBA in Australia anyway um, and still find institutional banking markets and all the rest really interesting as well. Um, but particularly about uh, how it applies to people and the sentiment and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, that's me. It's a, it's. The way that you, that you come at the world and the way you look at it has also got this heavy dose, for want of a better word, of art. I mean, we all know that, you know, for anyone who knows you, you're a fanatical tennis enthusiast, <laughs> player, watcher. <laughs> but you've also got this pension for art. I mean, there's always, you know, we see this sort of business conversation all of a sudden. Oh, here's a picture of some graffiti artist I saw in New York. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, so that, that's interesting. So I kind of... I think, and it'll probably come up as we're talking about leadership and everything else, but I think um, as you read that out for me and it's sort of got a bit of a multidisciplinary flavour, I think that that sums me up well and I'm quite uh, proud of that in a way. And I think, you know, all of the team at Moi have different elements and components of that. Most, you know, most of us do, but um, I was reflecting on that a little bit this afternoon. And if I think of high school, my best subject was visual art. Uh, then I, thought, then I thought, should I go and do some sort of creative art thing? I don't know. I was better at the writing part than the real painting or anything else, but I liked it. Um, but then when I was at university, my best subject was business forecasting. They always go together. <laughs> Maybe an art investor. I don't know. <laughs> That exists. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say your best subject at school is maths or economics. You're very, very fast at maths. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let's start with, with a really simple question. This is the one that we always use for my, if you've seen anything to do with my, the first thing we always try to describe ourselves in three words. So James, your three words. Yeah. So I've got listener, thinker and doer. And so they kind of pop up on, uh, you know, the bottom of our email signature on our business card 
We use them when we're talking to people. And I think I, I like these ones and I think I like them because I hope there's a bit of reality. I think there's a bit of hope in those. And I think there's a bit of aspiration as well. And like a bit of a reminder of what I'd like to be doing or known for or something like that. So I like the idea of listening. I think that you, you can't work in what we do. You can't be good at it if you're not a good listener. I think you've got to think through things. Often once you've listened to everything, there's a lot of complexity. And then I think you've got to ultimately turn it into some kind of action. So I think listener, thinker, doer is very simple. It's not fancy, but I think that's a, a good little motto or three words. It's a pretty awesome three for what we do. I hope so. <laughs> Listen and understand context, to think more deeply about it, apply different pieces of new knowledge to it, and then to do something with it. I think a lot of people can sort of do one of the three, but all three together is pretty cool. So let's go to something more personal. What is your big ambition? If you could do anything in your working life, what would you love to achieve? Yeah, this one's so hard. And I think because of all of that um, kind of quirky background, I guess, uh, I've got a whole range of things. And it's sort of, I think it comes really beautifully to what we do at Mine. I think that's why I was drawn in the first place and why I'm drawn to, to being here for the, you know, for the long haul is, you know, we talk about kind of tirelessly making work better for more people. And I think that's really important to me. And I think I love working with people, whether it's the person that's cleaning the hallway or the person that's, you know, standing on the top of the building, it doesn't matter to me. Um, I just want to see more diverse people in that workplace. And yes, that's like a diversity and inclusion lens, but I just think we have more interesting and better organizations that way. Um, so yes, there's, you know, I love the idea of getting involved with people that are underrepresented or underemployed or marginalized in any way. Um, but I think more than that and kind of, you know, warmer than that is like, yeah, I think it's a more interesting workplace. I think you do better work. I think you can make greater things happen. Um, don't think we've got it right yet at all necessarily. I think we've seen bits of it, but I, I kind of just like uh, my ambition is to be in a melting pot of people. I think we've got that at more now. Um, that are going to do great work together and keep evolving um, however that looks in the future. <laughs> I love your metaphor that the CEO or whatever company works on the roof. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I won't say anything that's incriminating on that one. But, yeah. You literally, into a building, you put the hierarchy of a company so that you can sort of say, you go to the 14th floor and you'll find middle management on the 28th yeah. floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think um, the thing that then in the work you and I have done together is you've got this really interesting appreciation of all the different people who can work together on things too, and and so whether it be psychologists, economists, HR people, technologists, I mean you're really open to what each of them can bring. I think that that's been incredibly valuable. Albeit that, as you quite rightly say, none of them have actually nailed it and said this is the right way to go forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's go across to the guys on the roof. <laughs> what, oh, yeah. what 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 makes a great leader, and what are the biggest lessons you've learned about what it become, what it takes to become a great leader? Yeah, so I was reflecting on these, and obviously, like you are one of them, Rhonda. Um, and I think you have to say that because I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record, everyone, no, I do not. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is not on the script, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is no script. Um, but for this particular thinking, I did put a few points down and I was reflecting on all the different places I've worked, people I've worked with and everything else. I thought, you know, there are textbook kind of answers to this, but I think we get 
a little bit of knowledge from that. And I think, you know, what we do, we have to be reading that, thinking about that, looking at that, but it's more from your interactions and experiences and what you hear from people and how they've interacted and stuff. It's from their lived experience. I, I love the one we always write about in leadership. And I think that it's balanced by that um, experience and reality is great leaders know that it's not about them or yeah. not solely about them. And that actually <laughs> a much bigger part of their role is out than in, if that makes sense. Uh, and that I think they recognize that it's really hard, that it's a privilege and an honor and that um, they're okay that it's hard and they know that they don't know all the answers. So I think that's really simple. That's probably not super novel, but I think, yeah, they know it's not about them. I totally agree with that one. It's a good place uh, to start. Yeah, it's, it's huge. The, the other one I was thinking of here, and it's like, it's going to sound a little bit wacky in a way, but hear me out and see if I can get the, get the point across is um, I think that they're, they absolutely have deep empathy, but I think they balance it with realism. And that's like weird wording. But what I've seen is um, great leaders, you would think that they don't let people fall over ever, but I think sometimes they know that people have to, to learn something, or I don't think it's their role to stop someone from experiencing something, you know, that, that teaches them something, if that makes sense. But I do think that they try and make that fall a bit more graceful or they try and break it a little bit, but they're definitely there to help them back up. So I've seen this one a few times. I probably can't give all the examples, but I think it's not, you don't have to be perfect and sort of protect everyone all the time either. Um, and I think that that's actually a really big one and it's probably a really hard one, but it goes to the first one, which is it's not about them. I think it's a really beautiful example to, to break oh. someone's fall a little bit, recognise they need the lessons, but break their fall a little bit and help them get back up. I think that's really great. Yeah, and I'm not saying they throw them off the roof or anything else either. So I'm not saying that they you know, <laughs> set people up to fall. I think they do the exact opposite as much as possible. But sometimes, yeah, they, they, they teach through experience, I think. I think that those first two are really good. So it's not about them. And yep. they do have this deep empathy with realism and, and supporting people to get back up if they fall, but letting them learn a lesson so people can grow. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Then I, I yeah, the other thing I had for the next one was that leaders always see the best in people, even when the, the people themselves might doubt, have some doubt. And so I think this one is like, I kind of wrote it down as good, really good, and then great. I think good leaders recognize where people have areas develop, to develop, that's awesome. Um, that's sort of the baseline, I think, particularly for the future. I think really good ones uh, help people realize that and coach them and develop them and grow them. But I think the greatest ones kind of go recognized it, not like let's throw that away altogether or ignore it in any way, but they're like, let's just move way beyond that. Like, let's fix, like look at that and then go way beyond it. So they kind of, it's a bad little metaphor, but they see, see the, area of growth or whatever as a bit of a puddle and they kind of help you build a ramp to go so far past that you don't even sort of look back at the puddle. I think that's, um, yeah, maybe not the right metaphor, but I think that that's what they do. They kind of just are moving you so far forward that the little things kind of seem little in the end. I think that, I think that's a really awesome metaphor and it's also accepting that there is no such thing as a perfect person. And so there's flaw in a person. There's a moment when you say, okay, you're going to have to develop that and grow that and get, you know, move on. But there's also somewhere you go, that enormous strength you've got is also leading to this weakness. If you could just get past the weakness and just play to the strength, just play and, and not sort of, oh, we need to point it out again. And <laughs> we don't, we actually just need to go, yeah, it's part of the greatest strength you've got. Let's just move on. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely bang on. And I think the last one that I had here, we sort of covered it in the intro is that, 
I think the greatest leaders don't really worry about their title or what they're called. Uh, and I think they worry even less about their function. So I think like if someone says like, here I am, welcome, I'm the president and you know, all I'm looking at is strategy or whatever, like whatever it is, that's <laughs> so far away. That's probably a bad example. I was probably thinking more of like, I work in HR, I do HR stuff, you know, um, or what finance, like what's the relationship there or what's the relationship with operations. But I think that anyone that's amazing at any role for that matter, uh, isn't really worried about their own title, knows that the best things happen when people work together, uh, you know, around a common problem. Uh, and that I think that's something we have to keep breaking through is you have to know operations, finance, even if you don't necessarily want to think about customer strategy, tech, digital, everything. Um, otherwise, you're not really a leader. You're just an executive wasting a seat. I know that's really tough language, but I feel really strongly about that one. Mm. It's There's a, a guy I had the pleasure to learn from, a guy called Richard Rummel, who writes strategy. He was out of Stanford. Do you know, have you read his stuff? But he's really... Yeah, he's cool. What he was always saying, people would say to him, what's the best strategy? Because he was like a strategy professor. And he would say, say, the one that you achieve. And I thought, yeah. (laughs) So there there is this sort of, it can be all very clever and come up with something really marvellous. But if you actually can't do much with it, it's pretty worthless. That's the joke one. And I don't know if it's been made up somewhere, like with someone over a glass of beer or whether it's, you know, a really famous quote. But it's like, you know, strategy without execution is a waste of paper. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's fairly true. But let, let's go to a topical question right now. So through your personal experiences, um, your work, your life, and, and based on your deep expertise in reading, because you do read an enormous amount of stuff, as we know, um, do you think COVID-19 will slow down or speed up our progress towards creating a better future of work? So I hate to say this out loud and, and up front, but I'm on the fence for this. And I think... Um, part of why I'm on the fence is what I'm reading and where I'm, what I'm reading, what I'm thinking about, and also where I'm sitting in the US and what I'm seeing in the US, say, versus what I'm hearing from yourself and the MOA team and friends and family back at home in Australia. So I think COVID-19 has showed us just how uneven the world is <laughs> again, but also yeah. how, how uneven work, the working world is. And so I think that, you know, a lot of the stuff we read is from really loud voices or really prominent ones like people in tech that are fortunate that they can maybe do flexible work sitting on the laptop. If you think of all the essential workers, whatever they're doing, like the person sweeping the streets or driving the bus that normally is getting actually and doing an awesome job to make it clean, safe for people to get to work, commute, getting them food, like kind of all the basic needs and stuff in a way. Um, they can't just pick up a laptop and do everything. So I think, yes, that we've seen that flexible work, which has been lagging where it could be for many years, was sort of flicked on overnight for part of the workforce, not all of the workforce. So I think when we, you know, hear that we're going to have this huge progress to the future, we are in lots of knowledge jobs. Yes, I think we are. Uh, That's one big part. But I also think that there are some things that have to work the way that they always have or, can be improved, but within some framework. And I also think, um, yeah, what, what we haven't put into account and the risk is we're making assumptions that everyone loves it. And I, for one, couldn't be more excited to go back to the office. So 
Um, I'm assuming I'm not the only one in the world that thinks that. Uh, <laughs> it I don't... is pretty, pretty funny. Yeah. Like by definition, we, we really rather like working with people and all of a sudden you're just hanging in your own backyard. <laughs> it's like... It's super tough. And I think, you know, a lot has been written and it's been pretty good on people's mental health when they're working from home and routine. And we've had some great thoughts on that and I've read lots of others. Um, but for me, like, it's a, it's a struggle not working with people physically uh, it's its own struggle to work with them virtually, but you know it's a good and welcome one versus working solely alone. Um, but I think there's many people like us, and I think you know some of our work and thinking on belonging and and things like that. This is the time for it. It shows that that is important in the future of work, as we know that there'll be all of that balance of essential, non-essential, whatever you want to call it, physical, virtual. All of that will come together, but I don't think it will hundred one hundred percent be, you know everyone working from home, away from an office, not working physically together anymore. Um, Your points are really valid. Watching the way that you've been thinking about it, the data points, obviously you being based in Philadelphia has given you a different perspective than Sydney or Adelaide or whatever as well. But it's it's been really interesting when you had that data on, um, people, on lower socioeconomic incomes and the fact that they couldn't lock down and yeah. high socioeconomic, they could. And so that's a challenge of we're already moving quite rapidly towards a divided society. We've been watching things like Jeff Bezos's personal wealth go up by the yeah. second. Um, yeah. And what does it actually mean? Do we divide it further? So there is lots of possibilities, as you quite rightly say, but there's also this risk, isn't there, that we could be further divided. And I think that's one. And I, I love that point. I think it goes to making work work better for more people as our sort of combined mantra. And, and I love that one. Um, that we have i think yes there's the data that from cell phones i still kind of love that one which yeah. is yeah richer areas have been able to drop to nearly no you know nearly zero movement uh, yeah. around uh less well-off areas some poorer areas that's been harder we know it's been uneven for you know a worse impact for women we know it's been worse over here in the us if you don't have a college education yeah um we know that of the 36 million people, and it's not a perfect stat here, but just to give kind of a reference point, 36 million people filed for unemployment in like six weeks, give or take. Mm. Uh, and 40% of the people that lost their jobs were earning their, their household. So they're, you know, whoever's living with them could be couple, could be 10 people were earning 40,000 US dollars or less. And so, you know, it's hitting people that are already, you know, pretty right handy. Down. Yeah, that's and tough. Got worse. So, so, so let's go from that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think it's real. I think a lot of people say, well, it's going to be fantastic. And you go, well, could be lots of possibilities, but yeah, certainly some pain points as well. And we need to be cognizant of them and, and thoughtful on how to solve it. Um, back to you personally, what's the work that you're most proud of doing or most excited about doing whatever the right word for you is? Where, where's that? I think we're doing lots. So I think it's pretty exciting and challenging and um, I'm finding small ways to be proud and bigger ways to be proud of, um, you know, trying to work in a different marketplace. Like I think that's been pretty, pretty awesome. And we've done some good stuff so far and lots more to do. Um, but I think collectively around the world, this work that we're doing on belonging and culture and technology and kind of humanity and how that's all melding together, I think that's going to be huge. Uh, and it already is. And I think that's, that's everything. And I think everything we've been talking about on leadership, culture, uh, on unevenness in workforces, whatever that is, you know, across everything, 
um, is huge. And I think the ability to keep stripping back HR or people and culture or the way that we work together to what matters. Yeah. That's everything too. Yeah, I think that's really great. And the, the work that I've loved doing with you is that work on belonging. I think, yeah. you know, the last couple of years, we've just been hacking through that. And I think it's, it's really, it's, it's got great legs and it's sort of showing us a different way to look at culture, which I think is fantastic as well. Any final thoughts from you? No, I just think like every time I talk to you, I'm really energized. So that's, that's been good again, like you know, towards dinner time here. Um, but I think, yeah, we'll keep learning on, on leadership and culture. I think we're learning a lot, observing a lot, seeing great examples of it through this time and seeing some real shockers as well and everything in between. And let's keep pondering, designing and working on that. Yeah. Thank you, James. And I've really enjoyed the chat too. And it's nice for other people to get to hear you. I, I think my favorite meeting of the week, we have a heart starter on a Monday morning and then we have, that's like a really focused short half hour sort of meeting. And then we have this one on Tuesday morning where we actually spend about an hour and a half with all around the world getting together and saying what's going on and tossing around ideas and learning from you in that context and listening to where you're taking it. I mean, the fact that you've gone on this amazing adventure, um, you could absolutely have just sat in Sydney and everything would have just been lovely, but you've picked it up and said, I think I can put this into the US. And I think that's just so exciting and you're doing brilliantly well at it so far. So um, it's a pleasure working with you and I'm glad other people get to know you. I guess I wanted to say that. It's quite mushy, isn't it? For the podcast. I don't <laughs> normally get quite as mushy. <laughs> so, this is a new... Um, on, on that note, um, thank you so much for talking. We're going to, in the next couple of weeks to also speak to some others in the white team, and I'm looking forward to doing that as well. Um, it's always a pleasure to hear when people are really open and honest. We haven't got work right, but we are getting closer to it, and your work in that is just making such a difference. Um, we love hearing from the very best people and experts, and it's a pleasure also to work alongside them. I think that that can't go without saying is to have them in-house is just such a, a fun thing. I mean, that's where you've got different ideas, new ways of doing things. And as a, a bit of a, a mini announcement is um, your work on blogging, but also your work on the cultural dashboard is really quite remarkable. And we're so excited about bringing that out at the moment. We've been working with a lot of our clients very closely on it, but we're starting to make it much more public. And I think that that will be a real turning point into how people talk about culture, how we talk about leadership, how we talk about people and culture together in an organisation. So watch this space. Um, if you'd like to hear more about James, get in contact with James. He's very, very findable. So he's james at moi.live. If you'd like to hear anything else about the broader team or about the work that we're doing collectively, um, get involved with our newsletter. Also just team at moi.live and we'll get on to getting the newsletter to you. It comes out every Friday. Or better still, join our community and then you get to work with people like James and start to pull some of these ideas forward with us. It's been a pleasure having you this morning. Yeah, thank you. Big Love more it. from us. <laughs> Big more. <laughs>